We turn in Holy Scripture to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2. We will read the whole chapter. The text is verses 3 through 8. Verses 3 through 8. Due to the length of the text, we won't reread that at the end. So pay close attention to verses 3 through 8. This is God's word. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Here begins the text. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. There ends the text. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so far do we read God's inspired word. May he bless the word unto our hearts. The story in Matthew 2 begins by speaking of the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2 doesn't give us the details of that. Those are found in Luke 2. What happened according to Luke 2 is Joseph and pregnant Mary traveled from Nazareth south to Bethlehem because the emperor, Caesar Augustus, required that the Jews register for taxation in the city of their fathers. Once in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary could not find any place to stay in the town. There were many others there also to register for this taxation. Now they did eventually find shelter in what was probably a cave on the outskirts of the city of Bethlehem. It was a cave where travelers would put their animals for the night. And there, probably that very night, Mary brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus, the Savior. That same night, angels appeared to shepherds in a field nearby and announced the birth of the Christ child to those shepherds. And those shepherds immediately went and they found the, the, the child lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And Luke 2 tells us that after those shepherds saw Jesus, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Although the history in Matthew 2 seems to indicate that that news did not travel much beyond Bethlehem. But based on the events of Matthew 2, it seems that sometime after Jesus' birth, Joseph must have purchased a house in Bethlehem, and that's where he, Mary, and the young child Jesus lived during Jesus' earliest years. Matthew 2 reveals that when Jesus was born, wise men from the east saw his star and they came to Jerusalem to find him. We don't know exactly how many wise men there were. We do not know exactly where they were from in the east. Many think Persia or Babylon, and that's because of the name wise men, or literally magi, in verse 1. That's what they're called. Magi in the original language. And that was a term that was often used for men in Persia and Babylon that studied the stars. And those men would often be close advisors to the king. Now these wise men that Matthew 2 talks about, these wise men from the east, they would have had contact with the Jews that had been taken into captivity by Babylon. There were many Jews now in the east because of that captivity. And from those Jews, the wise men, or maybe their parents, they had learned about the promised Messiah. 
the promised king of the Jews. And these wise men, Matthew 2 talks about, believed that this was their king. This promised Messiah was their king too, who was going to deliver them from sin and from the devil. Probably right around the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these wise men saw a star in the east, and God must have revealed to them that this was Christ's star, for that's what they call it. They call it his star in verse 2. And after seeing it, they headed by faith to Jerusalem to find the Christ child. Now, it's not as if they were following the star the entire way. For we read in Matthew 2 that the star reappeared to them while they were in Jerusalem. So they probably were not following a star all the way. But they had decided to go to Jerusalem because that was the capital city of the Jews. And they thought, going there we'll definitely find someone who knows about the birth of the promised Messiah. And we'll be directed to where he is. So they went to Jerusalem. And the distance from where they were to Jerusalem was probably around a thousand miles. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but about that is what many think. They're coming from the east. So their journey took some time, but they did eventually arrive in the city of Jerusalem. And they said these words, according to verse 2. They came into the city and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Today we hear the response of the people in Jerusalem to what the wise men said and what they asked. And from this response, we will learn how we are to respond to the news of the Christ coming. So may we, from God's word today, see God's wonderful salvation, see his great grace to his people, and worship, worship on bended knee. Let's consider the text under the theme, Jerusalem's response to the good news. Jerusalem's response to the good news. First, a troubled people. Second, an inactive people. And third, an evil plot. First, a troubled people. The people of Jerusalem were troubled by the wise men's message of this newborn king of the Jews. We start with Herod. Herod's talked about a lot in this text, verses 3 through 8. There are a few kings called Herod. In Scripture, this is the first Herod, and this Herod was known as Herod the Great. Herod the Great, and he ruled Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC, and he was given rule over Judea by the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. Herod did lots of political maneuvering to get this position, did lots of work to get it, and Herod was now known as the king of the Jews, and he was proud of that. But Herod was not a Jew. Herod's dad was an Edomite, meaning that he was a descendant of Esau. And the Jews did not like it so much that they, descendants of Jacob, were being ruled by a descendant of Esau. But that is the way it was. Herod was not only an Edomite, but he was a very wicked man. Matthew chapter 2 shows that, shows him as a murderer of even young children. 
So do the history books. The history books speak of this Herod as a cruel man that loved power. Historians speak of him as a man that was always worried that someone was going to try to take his throne, take his position and title as king of the Jews. He was so worried that he even killed his wife and some of his sons because he worried about a plot that they might make against him to take his throne. You can understand then, knowing that about Herod, you can understand that when the wise men came to Jerusalem and news of them and their question reached, reached the palace, Herod was troubled by all this. Troubled. Magi, important men from far away, were in Jerusalem asking about the birth of the king of the Jews. Verse 3 uses the word troubled. He was troubled, meaning he was agitated. He was upset inside. He even feared. Herod did not want someone else to be king of the Jews. He loved power more than anything else. He had spent years planning, years working for a position like this. And now there's this rumor of a new king of the Jews. He's troubled. Herod was an old man when these wise men arrived in Jerusalem with this news about a newborn king of the Jews. He was an old man, and he actually wouldn't die very many years later. Only a few years later, Herod died, Herod the Great. So one might wonder why an old man like this would be so troubled by this birth of a new king of the Jews. By the time this child grew up, Herod would be dead. Well, first, Herod was, he was so troubled by it because he, like many in history, he wanted one of his sons to rule so that his name would live on and his family would be known as, as great rulers. He wanted to leave a legacy. didn't want some new king of the Jews taking over. Second, Herod was afraid that if the Jews thought the Messiah had come, they might storm the palace, take him off the throne in their, in their fervor about this Messiah's coming. Many Jews knew something about the promise of the Messiah and a spiritual salvation he would bring. There are many prophecies about that in the Old Testament. They knew something about that. But the Jews especially expected the Messiah to be a political savior that delivered them from the Romans. Herod thought the Jews might get into such a fervor over the Messiah's birth that they would try and overthrow him in their excitement. So this news of, of a king of the Jews upset him. And understand, Herod knew who the Messiah was. He knew who he was. According to verse 4, he asked the, some of the religious leaders, he demanded of them where the Christ should be born. That name Christ that he uses in verse 4, it's the same title as Messiah from the Old Testament. Both the terms Messiah and Christ mean anointed one. 
and refer to him as the anointed prophet, priest, and king. Herod, like many Jews of his day, he thought that this Messiah would, would be an earthly king that would bring prosperity, that would bring joy to these Jews. So he hoped, he hoped though that this Messiah wouldn't come at least while he was alive. Because that would mean a loss of his power, but also trouble for the Romans. And he was friends with the Romans. They were the one who'd given him this position. It would mean lots of trouble for him and his friends. And that was really his worst nightmare, this loss of power for him and the Romans. Verse 3, though, tells us it wasn't just Herod that was troubled by this news of the wise men. But the end of verse 3 says, all Jerusalem with him. So all Jerusalem was troubled along with him. These Jews were uneasy. They were upset inside when they thought about all this because they wondered what the Romans would do if they heard about this newborn king of the Jews. John 11 verse 48 tells us what the religious leaders in Jerusalem later said about Jesus. This was during his public ministry, but it shows their fear of Rome. John 11, verse 48, they, read, they said, If we let him, that's Jesus, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So Rome and its army were powerful. The Jews feared, wondering what the Romans would do if they heard about some rival to Caesar. Jerusalem was also troubled because they wondered what Herod would do. They knew who Herod was. He was a cruel man, a man that loved power so much that he was willing even to kill family members. To maintain his throne. What would Herod do if we show any kind of support, any kind of excitement that this new king of the Jews has been born? They were uneasy. This troubled reaction of the people in Jerusalem is significant. Significant for a couple reasons. It's significant first because it points to the Jews' future rejection of Christ, which brought him to the cross. One would think that the Jews would have joyfully received the news of the Messiah's birth. You kids might think that would be their reaction. Excitement. You would think that they would see their sins against God's law. They knew the scriptures. You'd think they'd see their sins against God's law, what they deserve for it, and now hear about the birth of the Messiah and thank and praise God for it. You'd think they'd go to those wise men and say, where is he? Let's go find him together and let's worship him. And said they were troubled. Verse 3, all Jerusalem with him, troubled. Verse 3 indicates that they must not have been longing, truly longing for his coming. And certainly were not, certainly were not yearning for a deliverer from sin. They didn't really care about that. Their current lives were mostly comfortable. 
and they didn't want to upset the way things were going. Maybe they thought that if things were so upset, their finances would be affected, the economy would be affected, there'd be all kinds of trouble, and right now things are really going okay. They were not truly interested in Christ, and they were really rejecting him here. Their trouble at his coming points to their future rejection of him during his public ministry. They would have some interest in him for a time when he was an adult and doing these amazing miracles. They would think to themselves, well, maybe he is that promised one who's going to deliver us from our political rivals and make Israel great again as it was during the days of David and Solomon. We will rule. For a while, there was some interest in him for that. But in the end, they'd be angered by his message of spiritual deliverance. And so angered by it, they would oppose him and bring him to the cross. The Jews' rejection of Jesus, though, it is, of course, so important. It is so necessary for our salvation because God used their sin. God used their rejection of him to bring Christ to the cross, to die the accursed death necessary to pay for all of our terrible sins, the sins of us believers. God was in control of all of this, according to Acts 2, verse 23. Acts 2, verse 23 says him, and that's Christ, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye Jews have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. God directed all things, even the thoughts of these Jews 2,000 years ago, thinking of us, thinking of our salvation from our terrible sins and from the hell we deserve. Praise God for his grace. Second, regarding the significance of this troubled reaction by the Jews. Notice this, the Jews being troubled by Jesus coming, it reminds us of how many sinners react to the news of Christ today. It reminds us of how many sinners react to the news of Christ today. Many hear about him. Many hear about him at this time of the year, the time of Christmas. They know what Christmas is actually supposed to be about, but they are troubled at that name of Christ and trouble that the truth of who he is. Because the truth of who he is is that he's a savior from sin. And they hate hearing about sin. It agitates them, upsets them. They don't want a savior that delivers from sin and calls them to put it away. They want to continue doing what they please, marrying whom they want, however many times they want, partying as they please, doing this and that as they desire. They don't want to hear how these things mentioned and other things are sinful 
and have a Savior that delivers from sin. Just hearing about sin makes them upset and say, not my king, not my king, my life, my choice, or my body, my choice, I'm my own king. But understand, that's how we would all react if not for God's grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 indicates that we all sinned in Adam and we are dead in sin by nature. So we, if not for God's grace, we would hear about the Christ and about him as a savior from sin and we would say, not my king, I am my own king, I will do what I want. We'd run from any message about him, rejecting him. Salvation is entirely of the Lord, then, as you can clearly see. In the second place this morning, the text indicates that the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders were inactive when they heard about this message of the wise men, when they heard about Christ's coming. Herod, being troubled by the, the message of the wise men, he called the religious leaders to himself because he had an important question for them. Matthew 2, verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where will the Christ be born? Where this, what do the scriptures say? Herod probably already knew the answer to that question. John 7, verses 40 to 43 indicate that the Jews knew the prophecy of where the Christ would be born. Herod was raised in the Jewish religion. Herod knew lots of stuff. Herod even observed many of the ceremonies along with the Jews. Herod was a lot like many of the political leaders today who observes the religion of the people, but mostly for political gains. That was the kind of man Herod was. He probably knew where Christ was to be born, but he wanted to make absolutely sure, so he asked the religious leaders, who would know? So it says in, in verse 4 that he asks the chief Priests. The chief priests refer to the high priest at the time, but also each of the high priests before him that were still alive. And then there are the scribes. Those were experts in God's word. Those who studied God's word every day and copied them out and were teachers of the people. So Herod goes to the guys, the guys who will know. And these men answered Herod's question about the Messiah's birthplace right away. They said in verses 5 and 6, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. That refers to the prophecy made in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. 
But these men were not exactly quoting Micah 5, verse 2. It was more of a paraphrase of that passage. While their paraphrase did give Herod the, the information he demanded, we should see what that they did leave some things out and maybe why they left some things out. First, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, when you read it, says that, or calls Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephratah. But you don't find the word Ephratah in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. The word Ephratah simply means fruitful. But the, uh, the religious leaders left that word out. And instead they, they said this is Bethlehem of Judah. And they included that to show Herod that this Bethlehem was not the one in the north in Zebulun, but this is Bethlehem of Judah that's within your jurisdiction. The close one. It's just a little bit of ways. And then in Micah 5, verse 2, there's also this difference. Micah 5, verse 2 says about Bethlehem, says, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, but these men, these religious leaders, say this. They say, Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah. So while Micah's pointing out the lowliness and insignificance of where Christ would be born, the place where he'd be born, these religious leaders are pointing out that, well, they're saying that the opposite. Actually, that Bethlehem is a great place. It's the place that's going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. He'll be born there, so it will be great. It's not the least. Third, Micah 5, verse 2, ends by saying this. It says, Out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The religious leaders in Judah, they took out the last part that speaks of this Christ being from everlasting, being the really the eternal God. They take that part out, but they do speak of him, this great Christ ruling the people. So they paraphrase the verse, but the message came across to Herod. The necessary information, Herod thought, it's given to me. I now know where he will be born. It's Bethlehem, and it's only four and a half miles away. How did Herod respond to this information received? Well, Herod believed what they said. Herod did not have a saving faith, but yet Herod believed what the Scriptures said. Herod the Great did not think that the Scriptures were just some ridiculous old fairy tales. No, he asked the leaders what the Scriptures said about Christ's birthplace, and he so believed what they said that he later sends the wise men to that place. So Herod believed the scriptures, but he believed them somewhat like the devil believes them. The devil has a, a certain, it's not a true saving faith, the devil has a belief that what some of the scriptures say are true. He doesn't act like the scriptures are fairy tales, he takes them seriously. He knows what they say and tries to keep the prophecies from happening. 
So he knows Genesis 3, verse 15, and he knew Micah 5, verse 2, and Isaiah chapter 53. He, he knew all of that. But his goal was to keep it from happening. He used various people and nations throughout the Old Testament to try to keep the Christ from being born and being this Savior. Try to destroy Israel, try to destroy the line of Christ numerous times. Well, Herod also believed what Micah 5 verse 2 said, and he was determined to prevent its fulfillment, prevent this child from actually becoming king. He now knew exactly where this Messiah was born, so he began making plans to stop this from happening. The devil really was using him, working in him. How, though, did the chief priests and scribes, the religious leaders of the Jews, act after reading this prophecy of, of the Messiah's birth in this place? How did they react after they read this passage to Herod? Well, they believed the scriptures, too. But notice their inactivity. They were inactive. They claim to be longing for the Messiah to come. They claim to be those who love the God who promised his coming. They looked like those who loved God, for they were every day on the outside seeking to keep the law. They looked good. They knew the scriptures even. They, they, they showed that knowledge of scripture, that deep knowledge by right away answering Herod's question about where the Christ would be born. Yet when they heard the wise men say that he had come, they did nothing. They did not go to those wise men and ask, well, when did that star appear? And and. What kind of star was it? How do you know this? And, and, and we want to come with you to go worship this great king, the Messiah. Didn't do any of that. They told the prophecy to Herod, and then they went right back to their daily work. Well, there are many like those Jewish leaders today. They know who Christ is and know the scriptures and even can talk about them. But they're inactive. They don't trust in Christ for salvation. Do not worship him. They do not live lives of daily conversion to his praise. Maybe went to a Christian school. They maybe went to church, sometimes even still daily go to church. They maybe find theology quite interesting, but they're truly inactive spiritually. They don't want, they don't come to Christ in faith, trusting in him for all their salvation from their terrible sins. They don't truly come to worship and bow the knee before him, saying in mind and in action, I am low and thou art great, O God. They continue in their sins. And they even know about hell. They suppress the idea of it. Or they think that 
oh, because they do this and that and they do know this and that, that I'll go to heaven. Pretty good people after all. So that's where we'll go. Now we need to think about ourselves. What's our response to the news of Christ is coming? Almost everyone here, if not everyone, knows a lot about Jesus and knows a lot about the scriptures. If you've been to church, most of you, for your entire life, been to the Christian schools, been to catechism, you're well-educated like the Jews. It could be, though, that some here react to the news of his coming with the same inactivity as those Jewish leaders did. Maybe some here are continuing in unrepentant sin. And by doing so, are really saying we don't care about Christ's coming. And by doing so, are really showing one continues in on and on unrepentant sin, they're showing they do not, not trusting in Christ. Some maybe are continuing in sexual sin. Pornography. Some maybe are continuing in dishonor towards authority. Whether that be parents, the government, whatever it may be. Maybe you're continuing to drink too much. Maybe it's gossip, gossip, which is hatred and killing of the neighbor. Or just any form of hatred, continued hatred towards a neighbor. Maybe someone today acts similarly to the Jews in that while you know about Christ, you don't truly worship him. Maybe just come here on Sunday. You come here, but you come here just because, well, your parents do. Family members do. If I don't, my grandparents will be talking to me about it. Or if I don't, people will look at me this way or that way. It's really being like the Jews were in Matthew chapter 2. There's not a true coming to Christ in faith and worship. Our response to Christ's coming must instead be this. That we do come to him in faith today, sorrowing over our sins and trusting in Jesus alone for all of our salvation. Our response must be a worship. Coming to him in worship. As those wise men did later on. Truly bowing the knee in heart and in action. Saying, I am alone, God is great, and I want to praise his most glorious name. Coming to him, it's coming to him in faith and in worship and in a life of daily conversion. Putting away sin, even those pet sins, and obeying God in gratitude. Let us come to Christ today in faith. Worship him. After Herod heard that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, he called the wise men to himself and he came up with an evil plan. 
Verse 7 says this, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. That he privily called the wise men means that he secretly called them to himself. He maybe sent out a trusted servant who found those wise men in the city of Jerusalem and said, Hey, the king, King Herod is interested in what you are talking about. He wants to talk to you. And probably ushered them in, maybe in a secret way, maybe through some secret passage even, to Herod in the palace. And you can imagine Herod treating them very well. These were magi from the far east, men who probably worked for a king there. And Herod wanted information from them, so you can imagine Herod treating them very well and him acting very interested in this Christ of whom they spoke. He knew that they loved the Christ. They'd come all the way here to worship him. Probably acted very interested, but he was especially interested in what time that star appeared. He knew the Messiah was born. He knew where he was born. But the final piece of information he needed was really when did this happen? So you can imagine him asking, what about that star? When did you first see it? Can I still see it? What about it? When those wise men explained when the star appeared and indicated the child was probably still young based on the timing of its appearance, Herod came up with a plan. Verse 8 tells us that he looked at those wise men and he sent them to Bethlehem. And he sent them with clear instructions, really two commands. He says, first, go and search diligently for this child. Ask the people of Bethlehem, really, he's saying. Ask them where he is. Search everywhere you can. You've got to find him. And verse 8 continues, says, And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. So come tell me, and I'll come and bow the knee to him also. Think about those wise men. This probably seemed like a great plan. They loved the Messiah. They wanted the word about his coming to be spread. And for many to worship him. And now the king, Herod, he wants us to come back and tell him so that he can worship too and he'll spread the word. It probably seemed like a good plan to those wise men at the beginning. But Herod's plan was an evil one. That according to Matthew 2, 13 through 17. Herod's plan was that after these wise men returned, he was going to send men over to Bethlehem, find that Christ child, and kill him. He was going to protect his throne. Herod was among the worst hypocrites and liars. He acted like he wanted to worship Christ, but his plan was to kill him. Herod, however, was not in control here. Praise God for that. Herod was not in control. God was in control. And seeking our salvation, he kept Herod's plan from working. We see God's sovereignty here. Psalm 2 helps us understand what was happening. Psalm 2, you think that's an Old Testament passage. Well, it talks about exactly really what's happening right here. Psalm 2, verse 2 says this, as the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The Lord's anointed is Christ. Kings of the earth take counsel against him. 
Verse 2. Well, kings tried to keep Christ from ruling, but verse 4 of Psalm 2 says, He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Many kings, many rulers planned the takeout of the anointed one. But the Lord laughs in the heavens. Foolish men can't keep God's plan from happening and God's anointed from ruling. Almighty God protected the Son for our salvation, for the salvation of us believers. After the wise men left Herod and found the Christ child in Bethlehem, God warned those wise men not to return to Herod, but to go back to their home a different way. And then God, through an angel, warned Joseph in a dream, saying that Herod was going to try to kill the Christ child and to get out of Bethlehem and go to Egypt. When the wise men didn't return, Herod did horribly demand the death of all the children in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. But the Christ child was gone from Bethlehem, down in Egypt. God protected the Christ child here for the salvation of his people. Christ could not die as a child at the hands of wicked Herod. For Christ had to die at the cross, die the accursed death at the cross under God's wrath to pay for the terrible sins of us believers and gain for us everlasting life. God was thinking of us and he protected Christ here so that he might save us believers from our sins and the everlasting curse we deserved for them. That's amazing. God thinking of us. Repent of your sins. Worship him. Worship him today. And remember what happened to Herod's plan here too. When you think about world events today, and when you think about what will happen in the future, what we can see on the horizon. Today, there's powerful technology being developed, things like AI or artificial intelligence. And some of you might hear that right away and say, I have no clue what you're talking about. But some of you do. There's great intelligence being developed today, great technology, and people will be able to spread incredible and terrible lies. They'll be able to make it appear online that to, to millions that Christians said things or did things that they didn't even do. Or they'll be able to make it appear online to millions, billions, that a certain man can do something that he can't even actually do. And you can think of Antichrist in that. And some of the things they'll be able to show him do one day. They'll deceive many. And we can start to worry about what the wicked will do to the church with that kind of technology. But what happened with the great, powerful Herod reminds us that God rules and he makes all work towards our salvation. And we truly have nothing then to fear. If you knew about Herod's plan to kill the Christ child back in Herod's day, you might have feared, but there would have been no reason to. The same is true today and in years going forward. 
Powerful rulers and scientists today cannot thwart God's plan. They can't even do it with technology that I and you can't, don't even understand. They will not be able to thwart God's plan. He will keep us and our children in salvation as he says in Scripture. He will come again in Jesus Christ and bring the new heavens and new earth and rule us there in that perfection forever. As the Scriptures say, we see here in this passage, he always brings the Scriptures to pass. He is almighty. He is God. So trust him. Praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful to thee for thy word. And we pray that thou wilt strengthen us to respond to the news of Jesus' coming by trusting in him alone for all of our salvation more and more, by worshiping him. Lord, may we do that today, may we do that tomorrow, do that the rest of our lives. And Lord, give us peace, the peace that thou dost always bring thy plan to pass. And nothing, nothing can bring thee down. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.